Hello, humans. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio and AM 950. Welcome. Welcome. Happy Monday to you. Um, actually, happy first day of fall to you. I'm really not happy about saying that, but there you go. Welcome to LE 2.0 Radio, where we talk about idealism and idealists and people trying to change the world through their actions. As I often say, you can't be an idealist simply sitting on your sofa in front of the TV. We have a great show today. I like to think that we always have a great show, but we really have a great one. I mean, today the big interview is with a man named John Anderson, whom you will, who is literally, as I am taping this show for later airing on this day, on uh, the 21st of uh, September, literally as I'm talking, John Anderson is being an idealist. In real action. You'll have to wait till his interview to get all of that, okay? And in my C block, at the end of the show, I'm going to talk about my work as a practical idealist. But if you know me, you know I always start out with um, featuring an idealist, either historical or contemporary. And if you really know me, you know who I'm going to talk about today, okay? We have had a year in 2020 of many idealists having passed. Most recently, John Lewis. But more recently than even that, we've had another great American, another great idealist pass. And of course, I'm speaking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, our beloved Supreme Court Justice, affectionately known as RBG, who died on Friday. Over the past several days, we've all heard about her role as a Supreme Court Justice and here I'm going to try and give you some information about RBG that maybe you don't know. And it may unlock how it is that she became so idealistic. So to begin with, RBG was born in Brooklyn in March of 1933 in the midst of the Great Depression. Um, her father was an immigrant from Russia. Her mother was first-generation um, from Austrian parents. Both parents were Jewish. Although the, and although the family practiced, they were not particularly orthodox in any way. And they, I mean, it does not appear that they were particularly strong in their faith, although they did practice. Um, the, uh, the biography of Ruth Bader Ginsburg does not talk a whole lot about her father. He was a furrier. But there is a lot of information about uh, RBG's mother, she, her name was Celia, C-E-L-I-A, who worked um, in the garment industry. In particular, we learn um, that Celia had lost out on her chance of going to college. Apparently, there was only enough money in Celia's family to support one child um, in college. And so that, that person happened to be Celia's older brother. He was sent to college. Celia had to forego going to college. And in fact, Celia began working after high school to contribute to her brother's education. So you have Celia, and I'm going to guess that she was a very smart lady, very smart human, who didn't get the chance to fulfill her potential. So imagine that early on, RBG learned about right away the impact of gender 
her mother being a woman, of course, her brother being a male, learning about the impact of gender and how one's gender dictated life course. That's something that RBG er learned very early in her life. Celia, RBG's mother, was a big proponent of education and often would take RBG to the public library. Uh, Celia's hope was that her daughter, Ruth, um, would become a high school history teacher. And we can kind of chuckle about that now in retrospect, given how high that RBG soared. As it was, Ruth was darn smart. And RBG graduated from high school at age 15. 15. And then went on to attend Cornell College. So um, before I go any further, I want to highlight the role of death and loss in RBG's early life. For example, when uh, RBG was just 14 months old, her older sister Marilyn died of meningitis. Marilyn was six years old at the time. Um, but that's not the only time that death showed up in RBG's early life. On the day before RBG was to graduate from high school, remember she was doing it at age 15, her mother, Celia, died of cancer. On the day before RBG's high school graduation. So you have to imagine that by the time RBG is out of high school, she understands a couple of things. She understands this thing about the role of gender. And then she also understands that life can be fleeting and that one must make the most of it while they have it. To continue the chronology, right after high school, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, now that time was only known as Ruth Bader, attended Cornell University in Ithaca. So she goes from you know, public high school, um, a, well, a well-known public high school in Brooklyn, to then go on to the Ivy League, to, to Cornell University. And um, that must have been a pretty big deal for a Jewish girl from Brooklyn. While at Cornell, um, RBG met her husband, Martin Ginsburg. Ruth was only 17 at the time that she met Martin Ginsburg. In 1954, RBG graduated from Cornell University with a BA in government. And a month later, she married Martin. I mean, RBG was barely 21 years old at the time. And not long after that, after their marriage, Martin was called up um, for the ROTC. He had been in the ROTC. He was called up for military duty to do two years. And Ruth was pregnant at the time. Ruth and Martin then moved. Uh, so RBG and her husband moved to Fort Sill in Oklahoma. So you've got two Jewish people moving to Oklahoma. And while um, – because Martin uh, had to go there for uh, military training and um, his initial time in the, in, the, in the Army. During that time, while in Oklahoma, Ruth got a job. RBG got a job at the Social Security Administration. Um, but she was pregnant at the time and as a result of, this, of, uh, of that, of the Social Security Department agency learning that she was pregnant, they demoted her. Um, apparently because pregnancy made you lesser as an employee. So remember, RBG already now has a good idea about the second-class nature of women in society. Eventually, Martin gets out of the military, the family then moves to Boston, and in 1956, RBG enrolls at Harvard Law School. Again, another Ivy League 
about the best as you can go if you're going to be go to law school. And she was just one. So in 1956, she is just one of nine women in her law school class of 500. 494 men, excuse me, 491 men <laughs> to nine women. In fact, the dean of Harvard Law School once had those nine women to his house for dinner and he asked all of them, quote, why are you at Harvard Law School taking the place of men, unquote. Eventually, in the middle of RBG's Harvard Law School tenure, Martin got a legal job in New York City. She and by then two children moved to New York City as well, where she transferred to Columbia Law School. Now, side note, there's a second theme here in RBG's life about cancer because Martin was, as a young man, while they were in Boston, he was diagnosed with testicular cancer. So imagine – RBG um, was struggling to be a law student. As it turned out, she was at the top of her class. She was raising, um, at that point, at least one child, if not two. And her husband, she was trying to support her husband, who was struggling with cancer in the mid-50s. More understanding for her about life being fleeting. Eventually, RBG graduated the first in her class at Columbia Law School in 1959. She attempted to find work as a lawyer in 1959-1960 but was rebuffed because she was a woman, notwithstanding first in her law school class. But she had a male law school professor from Columbia who believed in her. That professor encouraged her to apply to be a law clerk for a federal judge in New York City. The, the law professor so believed in RBG that he told the judge – not that if he didn't hire RBG, the law professor would never again refer a law school graduate to that judge. And trust me, getting getting um, professional, getting you know personal recommendations from law school professors about law clerks is incredibly important for judges. The professor also guaranteed that if RBG didn't work out with that judge, he'd find another replacement for the judge. As it was, RBG got hired. She clerked for the judge for two years, a year longer than many clerks at the time. After the clerkship, RBG tried to find again a job in New York City law firms, but the firms always offered her salaries that were lesser than the men. Um, now, <laughs> for something that will interest some Minnesotans – Instead of going and working at a law firm after graduating from Columbia Law School, RBG spent two years at the Columbia Law School Project on International Procedure. It's about uh, legal procedures and in, in how court systems work. For that, she studied the Swedish legal system. There is Minnesotan. Make people happy. In fact, she learned Swedish. This girl from Brooklyn and went on to live in Sweden for a period of time. While there in Sweden in the early 1960s, she found that a quarter of law school graduates were women in Sweden and the barriers of working while female in Sweden were far lesser than in the U.S. Eventually in 1963, RBG was hired as a professor at Rutgers Law School and even then she was paid less than male professors because her husband had a well-paying job. All right. Well, that's all I have about RBG but hopefully you will understand that by the time she was 30 – Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a brilliant woman, had already endured a life's worth of law struggle and gender-based challenges. By then, she was poised to work to dismantle the things that had gotten in her way. And I assume her heart and understanding about life as fleeting, that understanding was firmly in place. RBG, idealist extraordinaire, we will miss you. 
One person called her the third good marshal of women. I think that was an excellent description. Thank you, RPG, for being such a tenacious idealist. Okay, there we go. When we come back from our break, we'll do the big interview um, with my friend John Anderson. You will enjoy hearing what he is doing. We'll be back in a minute. Thanks. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out ReuseBFM.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, dot com. Back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio, the Indigo Girls talking about the resting soul. And so think of that with RBG, okay? May she rest in peace. May her legacy, may her legacy stand tall and firm. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, uh, listeners, we're now at the time of the big interview and I have a, a John Anderson on the line with me, who is going to talk about something incredible that he's done now. Regular listeners to the show, you may recall that John Anderson was on the show previously. He's an idealist, and I had him on in April of 2019 to talk about the forgiveness project that his church, Grace Lutheran, up in Ramsey or Anoka. Andover. Andover. <laughs> Andover. See. That, that's close. John's, close. John's chipping in in Andover. Um, and John, welcome back to LE 2.0 Radio. We're happy to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here, Ellie. Oh, and you and I have stayed friends ever since you were on the show initially. And um, in fact, you helped uh, arrange for me to go speak at Grace Lutheran. Um, yeah, that and was you, wonderful. And you also, uh, well, thanks. And you also facilitated me speaking at least at one other church. So I'm thankful for that. But I wanted to have you on because right now, John Anderson... You are doing something fairly incredible, um, and I want our listeners to know about this because it is one of the most um, idealistic acts I've come across with an ordinary human in a long time. John, do you want to explain what you are doing around the time period of 8 colon 46? Talk to us about that, please. Yeah, well, thanks, Ellie. Of course, uh, we all know what happened in May with that time. Uh, the, the time that the policeman's knee was on George Floyd's neck, and um, he died from that. And so that was obviously a, a very memorable point in time. 
And uh, I happened to take that and put it on a T-shirt with a slogan that says stand up um, to racism, learn, discuss, and act. And then the 846 stands out below that. Just to call attention, I think there needs to be awareness um, continuing on from that point in May and through all that happened um, beyond that in the summer and just the way that this country is and how divided we are, that uh, we need to take steps to listen to each other and get to the root cause of problems that, that cause such unrest. Okay. Well, but – and let's expand that. So you've put it on a T-shirt, um, what you've uh, just laid out, 846, right. and learn, discuss, and act um, relative yep. to racism. So you're engaging in anti-racism, but, but I mean, this is not like a simple thing of you just wearing a T-shirt. Please explain to the no, audience yeah, what, what, what else you're doing, right. okay? Well, there's, there, there's more to it than that, right? I, I – um I was inspired by a group that walked from Milwaukee to D.C. in August. Um, that's 750 miles. They walked it. So I decided to do some walk time with some vacation time that I could take. And normally, as you know, I've gone to different places and have had different sorts of pilgrimages. And this is a pilgrimage within my own county. And it's to call awareness to stand up to racism. And I am walking for eight days. I start at 8.46 in the morning. I start with an 8.46 pause. Then I walk at least 8.46 miles. I end with an 8.46 pause. And I um, a lot of the time I'm a walking billboard. That's what I call it. Uh, just signage walking around. But as I get into residential areas, I am encountering people uh, in the neighborhoods and on the trails in the county and talking with them and listening, trying to, to get a feel for what people think and to share some anti-racism news as well. And um, it's, been, it's been really good. All right. So and let's make sure we further um, kind of. Lay out the picture here. So you're in Anoka County, right? Yes. Um, which is, um, relatively speaking, politically, a conservative county, right? Certainly in the part where I live in the north, yes. Very okay. much so. All right. Yes. And you're walking every day um, for um, how long every day? I'm, I'm putting in 8.46 miles, but it works out. Um, the first three days I've walked uh, about nine and a half to 11 miles is what I do. Okay. So uh, it's, I, I enjoy it. Okay. And so you started this on Friday, uh, last Friday, that was the 20th or excuse me, yes. the 19th, right? Friday. Yes. Okay. And, or excuse me, maybe the 18th would be right, Ellie. And, and then you're going to do, and you, your plan is to do that for eight, eight days, correct? Yes. Today is day four. Correct? Okay. So the last day will be this Friday coming up. Well, that's correct. Friday the 25th, right? Yes. All right. And and 
As you're doing this, John, you're walking for the most part with a backpack and you've got some T-shirts that you're handing out. Is that right? Yeah, I, I've handed out a few T-shirts. I hand out a um, half-page notice of what I'm doing. It's called Anoka County Stand Up to Racism. And each day I'm walking in memory of someone and also in tribute of someone else in civil rights. So today, uh, for day four, I'm walking for Brianna Taylor. And I am paying tribute to something that from a long time ago, but very significant in the civil rights movement. And that was uh, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr. and the Montgomery bus boycott okay. in 1955 and 56. Yep. You're just, <clears throat> I'm just loving it that you're able to, that you're just kind of uh, just having all of these things just come off the top of your tongue. Um, <laughs> you know, and then, but you've also, like yesterday, you uh, walked in memory of Eric Garner um, in I New did. York City. And then, I did. And then you, last year, you, you went to South Africa. Right. Yes. Okay. And right. then part right. of yesterday's tribute was to Peter Norman, the silver medalist from the '68 Olympics. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, Peter Norman was from Australia. Oh, but, sorry. Uh, but I, that, that that's okay. I mean, it, it's it's kind of an obscure story about Peter Norman, but it's a, a terrific story. Uh, he was the silver medalist in the 200 meters at the 1968 Games in Mexico City. And uh, he stood on the podium with Tommy Smith and John Carlos when they lifted their fist with the black gloves on. That's such a memorable photo. Yep. Um, he was asked by them to wear a badge in support of human rights, which he did. He gladly did. And uh, for doing that, he never ran in the Olympics for Australia again. He was he was banned. So. Uh, he, he paid a price for what he did. It was a very simple thing that he did, but it called attention to the cause. And um, people are still talking about that today. Well, kind of like nearly 50 years later, Colin Kaepernick paying the price for something simple um, in terms of protest. And yes. So, of course, uh, the sports world and the world at large continues to punish idealists it does so right okay so so john we got to take a break but when we come back i want to talk more about what you're doing and more about your philosophy okay sure all right okay all right listeners we've been speaking with john anderson from anoka county who is doing for the next several days a walk um in 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 honor of George Floyd and to stand up against racism. When we come back, we'll talk more with John. If you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hi, Alex of Better Futures Minnesota. 
Does your business or organization need janitorial services, lawn care, or snow services? Obtain a free, no-obligation estimate from Better Futures Minnesota when you mention that you heard about us on AM 950. Our supervised, hardworking, and affordable crews will handle your interior and exterior building and property maintenance needs while you help men in your community transform their lives and walk on a positive path to success. It's a win-win. To learn more, go to BetterFuturesMinnesota.com under Business Services. On LE 2.0 Radio on AM 950, before we took our break, we had started the big interview with John Anderson from Anoka County in Minnesota here. John is walking um, and plans to walk for each of eight days, a total distance of at least eight miles and 8.46 miles um, in honor of uh, George Floyd and as a statement about standing up to racism. Uh, uh, John has been uh, uh, encountering a number of different people as he's been doing his walk and having conversations with him. John, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're finding, how people are reacting to you engaging in this very, very um, – if, if, if you see you, it's a very kind of public um, display of anti-racism. All right. It's, it's uh, across the board. Uh, there's some people that say nice shirt and, you know, they, they don't want to stop and, and talk. They might be jogging or out for a fast walk. I try not to be in anybody's face. Uh, I'm out to talk in, you know, uh, a natural sense. I mean, if the communication happens, uh, if, if it's uh, easy to speak with someone, that's the kind of conversation yep. that I'm looking to have, not forcing it right. on anybody. So it's it's um, a, a wide variety from people that uh, are cold, um, you know, and you can tell by how they tense up that they really don't want to um, have much to do, at least right at that moment, with uh, discussing racism. And there's some that are, are very friendly and and want to discuss, or or at least give a thumbs up and a smile and a and a way to go. So uh, that's encouraging, and I just believe that this is uh, the name of the game is to get in people's paths and discuss. We can't let this issue slide to the side of the road. And I've, I've had so many ripples that hit me this summer. I just felt like this was something that I had to, had to do, and, and um, it's been going very well. Well, and so you you did relate to me, like on the second day that you had been walking, uh, you came across um, a man of color. Is that right? And you had a conversation yeah. with him. You, you, can you relay that, please? I well, I uh, actually it was uh, the first day okay. um, where I I spoke to a resident, a, a new resident up here in the northern part of the county in a residential area, and. Um, you know, I, we just started talking about something else because there were some road repairs being made by where he lived. And I gave him a handout, told him what I was doing. Um, he uh, was curious, and then he thanked me. And he was very appreciative that someone was taking time 
to call attention to racism and do something about it. Um, they, he took a shirt from me too. And I asked him a question and I'm trying to ask questions to folks on the paths that might not be easy to answer. And I don't know if I'll get answers and that's okay if I don't, but that doesn't prohibit me from asking the question. So I asked him if you were to tell a white person like me something about racism, what is it that you want to say? And he paused and he told me, um, you know, I just wish that your family doesn't have to go through what others do. And that got to me because I knew he was talking about George Floyd and all the others. And he turned it to my goodwill, right, that I don't have to go through that. And, uh, you know, I, this is what I'm finding with this walk is that, uh, it, it gets to you because I'm, I'm spending time listening to people. I'm spending time with the names of people that have passed on and, uh, for, for which there was no reason for them to have passed on. And we can't forget them. The, the slogan that Black Lives Matters uses, say their names. Yes, that is important. And um, that's one key takeaway that I'd I'd share. Thank you for that. Now, John, um, because I know you, I I know the answer to this question. But I know that right now we have listeners who are asking this question and wanting me to ask it. So I will. And that is, are you worried about your safety as you're doing this? And I am so sorry that in America, I have to ask that question. But we have to realize that this is late 2020 in the midst of a country so divided. It's not that I haven't thought about it. I'm not worried. Um, Frankly, I was asked that on the the trail the other day. Um, Have you been persecuted was what I was asked. And so people know that that's, there's potential for that. Uh, if I was a person of color, oh yeah, I would, I would be very concerned. Um, I, I think that I'm allowed to do this much more easily because I'm not, right? That's, yep. uh, a, a, another key takeaway here. Um, more privilege, but, more privilege. Yeah. You know, you re- exactly. And you know that, um, I, I am doing this with the blessing and prayers of, of folks in my, my church, uh, and folks in some other countries around the world that have reached out to me in su- support and uh, are praying for my safety. So I feel protected, and I'm not worried about that. Okay. Well, and, and just so our listeners know, if you go to the li- Facebook live feed um, and even to Facebook after the show is over, but when it airs late, um, when it airs uh, today at two o'clock, um, they'll be able to see a picture of you um, standing with your shirt um, as you're making your walk. Um, John, I now you've got your last walk of, um, you know, Eight miles and 46 uh, increment uh, coming up on Friday, the 25th. 
And, yes. and uh, on that one, you are inviting people to join you. And can you talk about wh- what that walk will be on Friday the 25th, where it will begin, uh, what time, and where will it end up? Uh, sure. Um, as you know, Ellie, I am not any good at all with social media. <laughs> and that that's part of the fabric of who I am. I just not I, – I don't – spend time with with facebook or twitter yep. or anything but um people have asked me to walk you know they want to walk with me and i in i entered this endeavor with the idea of it being a solo walk and then on the last day i thought it would be good for a group and um there's some folks that have shown interest and so we are going to walk from the very southern part of anoka county to 38th in Chicago on Friday. And we'll start at Kordiak Park, and we'll start there right at 846 uh, with a pause. And however long it takes us to walk down Central Avenue to downtown to Chicago to 38th in Chicago, uh, I expect it'll be three to four hours okay. um, by the time we reach there. And that's the route, uh, Kordiak Park parking lot in Anoka County is where we'll meet. Okay, and they can meet you there at 8.46 on Friday morning, right? Yes, we'll we'll leave then, so if, if you would like to walk, uh, get there a little bit earlier. Okay. I do I do have some t-shirts. You know, I'm sure I don't have enough, um, probably, but um, at any rate, if someone chooses to walk with us and can't or doesn't want to do the full thing, they can meet us along the way and join us. Okay. That's perfectly fine. And, you know, a, a difficulty with this is transportation. Um, some folks that are walking are arranging so that they can get back to the starting point. Um, that's not something that I can take care of for people. So they'll have to arrange their own transport if they're interested in, in joining on the walk. Uh, if they are, Hey, you're welcome. If it's if it's uh, if someone is out there feeling the urge, hey, come join us. I, I think it will be very good. Okay, so you'll be meeting at at Cordiac Park in Anoka, Southern Anoka County. And yes, then, and then walking down to 38th in Chicago and Minneapolis. Of course, that's the location where George Floyd was murdered. And right. along the way, you're going to make friends and and. Um, and just be present about anti-racism, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Okay. All right. And if somebody wants to find more information about that, can they contact you or could they contact Grace Lutheran in some way? Um, sure. I haven't even thought that through yet. Um, but uh, let me talk with the church and uh, we'll see if, if we can post some, some uh, directions there. Uh, if not, uh, my personal email is jn. Anderson, O-G-M-N, for Oak Grove, Minnesota, J-N Anderson, O-G-M-N, at gmail.com. Okay, great. Thanks for giving us that information, John. Okay, well, listen, we have, you know, two minutes uh, left. Uh, and, John, what what's made you such an idealist that you would go and do this? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, uh, I do love to get into things that – allow myself to be put in a position that things reach inside me to change and alter my course. Um, 
I have a nephew that described um, pilgrimage to me as uh, an outer expression of an inner journey. And I believe that's true. I believe this walk is a pilgrimage for me. It's to change me and to hopefully to help change some others. And uh, frankly, to get down to, you know, what what is an idealist? I, I think it's just a person that tries to make some ripples here and there. And if we think in terms of skipping stones, sometimes the, the water's not quite right. Um, but sometimes it is. And there's a lot of good skips and a lot of good ripples. And that's what I'm feeling um, from this walk. And I'm, I'm just uh, so appreciative for all the support and the comments that I'm receiving as I walk and outside of the walk uh, along the way. It's just um overwhelming and extremely humbling well john i just want you to know um i'm really thankful for you i'm really grateful that you're doing this work and and thanks for letting me you know get you on the show i know that i've interrupted your walk in order to do that and i know that you're not the kind of person that's really all that comfortable with um the spotlight being on you but i want to thank you for what you're doing and for what your work is Thank you very much, Ellie. I really appreciate it. Okay. Well, listeners, that's John Anderson um, uh, walking every day this week with a big walk on Friday, the 25th, beginning at Kordiak Park in southern Anoka County. And from there, uh, uh, he and others will walk uh, down to 38th in Chicago. John Anderson, thank you. Thanks for being on Ellie 2.0 Radio. I really appreciate it. Take care. And good luck to you. All right, listeners, when we come back, we'll do the C block. Thanks. I'll be talking to you then. Better Futures Minnesota's Reuse Warehouse has big news. We have a brand new online store. Check out reusebfm.com. This is a great way to see what we carry in the Reuse Warehouse. Appliances, building materials, kitchen and bath fixtures, lighting, flooring, lumber, heating and cooling items. Don't miss the beautiful benches and COVID safety shields that are hand-built using reclaimed wood from our deconstruction projects. Check out ReuseBFM.com. That's ReuseBFM, as in Better Futures Minnesota, dot com. Hello, this is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 2 to 3 p.m. Many listeners know that I train on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming to diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on equity and dismantling racism. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change how they see the world. And now I'm doing all of my work online so everyone can attend regardless of where you're located. For more information, go to elliekrug.com. Thank you. I look forward to hearing from you. On AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio, Ellie Krug here talking to you. Okay, John Anderson, truly an idealist. Walk in the walk, literally walking the walk as an idealist. Meet him. Please consider doing that. Meet him at Kordiak Park on Friday, the 25th at about 8.30. And together, you can walk all the way down to um, uh, Chicago and 38th in Minneapolis, or you can just walk a little bit of the way and then double back to uh, your vehicle. But do that. Support him. I'm going to meet John 
um, and whomever he brings um, at 38th and Chicago um, when he gets there. So there you go. All right. We're now at my C block where I talk about my work as an idealist and uh, sometimes about the world affecting my work. And so I'm going to – that's really what we're talking about today, about about the world affecting my work. And so let me off by state making a very big announcement. It's official. I am a subversive. That is, Ellie Krug is a sub- officially a subversive, working to undermine our country. And in fact, for several years now, I've been speaking and propagating anti-American propaganda. I have been. Now, you may be wondering what I'm talking about. Well, all of this goes back to early September when the president announced that he was barring anti-racist training from federal workplaces. Yep, that's right. He's preventing 2.1 million federal employees from being taught about America's history of enslaving humans of color other than the white color. Or, and, or, and he's preventing them from learning about how structural racism in 2020 continues to affect people from marginalized communities. I'm subversive because this is precisely the kind of work that I do as a speaker and trainer. Um, and that work, anti-racism training, has been particularly in particularly high demand since the murder of George Floyd. And you know what um, really wanted? Who, who really wants this kind of work? Organizational leaders, people who control things, people who oversee large organizations and other people. They want to figure out how to fix things and eliminate structural racism. But the president, no, no, he does not want – Two million federal employees from learning about that stuff. He wants to keep them ignorant. However, it's even worse than that because the president has also threatened to punish public schools that teach uh, 1619 Project principles. You may recall I've spoken about the 1619 Project, which is an ongoing initiative of New York Times magazine and derives its name from the fact that in 1619, that was the first year enslaved Africans were brought to the continental U.S., the president considers teaching about the 1619 Project, about using the principles that it talks about America's history of enslaving humans, America's history of racism and structural racism. He believes that those kinds of teachings teach, quote, hateful lies about this country and, quote, amount to a, quote, a form of child abuse in the truest sense of those words, unquote. President Trump's solution is to create an entirely new line of America education where he says, quote, our youth will be taught to love America with all their heart and all their souls, unquote. President Trump plans to launch what he's named as the 1776 Commission to create those good American history teachings. And just yesterday... That would be Sunday, the 20th. The president claimed that as part of that big deal you've all heard about where Walmart and Oracle and TikTok are all – where Walmart and Oracle are coming together to buy TikTok. He announced yesterday that they would pay $5 billion towards an education fund, quote, so we can educate people as to the real history of our country, not the fake history, unquote. 
Of course, Walmart, Oracle, and TikTok had no idea that such a fund was being created and they knew nothing about giving the president or the government $5 million for it. All of this is just one of a hundred different things going on right now in the wake of a presidential election and then throw on top of it, of course, the fight now over a new Supreme Court justice. I get that and I understand if you don't know about this. But the bottom line is this. If Trump is reelected, look forward to a massive attempt to indoctrinate, indoctrinate um, in other words, brainwash our younger people and the rest of the country that America's history of enslaving, discriminating against and murdering black and brown and indigenous people was no big deal. And he's going to try and talk about how it's fake news if you say that there's structural racism in the United States. Mark my words. Trump gets reelected. It's quite possible that, that he will move to make it illegal. I mean we're talking illegal for me to teach about diversity and inclusion. I am proud to have the title subversive. Let me know. Let me just tell you that. Okay? I am. Because um, I believe in changing our country for the better. Okay, that's it. That's the end of the show. Um, I've got to give a big thanks to uh, my sponsor, Better Futures Minnesota, which gives people a second chance. Another thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson, who's always doing such great work. And a thank to you, my listeners, for tuning in every week. I hope that you're enjoying the show. I hope you're enjoying the new time period. I hope you're still enjoying me. And will you do me a favor, please? Will you do me this one favor? Will you go out? Will you make the world a better place this week? And if you do, will you know that I'm rippling to you? John Anderson's rippling to me. And we all, we all ripple to each other. Okay. Take care. Be well. Talk to you next week.